Well, we are in a series this morning, and I want to continue in that series called Ticket to Life. Ticket to Life. And uh, we, we're, out of, we're coming out of 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. I'm going to go ahead and read those down this morning. And then we're going to focus on one particular verse. Okay, so hopefully you have your Bible. I didn't put all of these up here on the board for you this morning, but follow along uh, in your Bible. If you don't, cheat off of the person next to you, and if not, just trust that what I'm telling you is out of the Word. Uh, all right, New King James Version. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 1 says, Simon, Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith, that's you and I, we have faith just like Peter and the other apostles. Come on. With us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue by which we have been given to us, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, that's God's nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But also for this very reason, in other words, because of all of that, giving all diligence, he's talking to you and I now, he says this word, add, add to your faith, virtue, or, or excellence, as it says in other versions, add to your virtue, knowledge, add to your knowledge, and here's the word we're going to focus on today, and I'll get back to it, big word, self-control. Then to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things, verse 8, are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins." Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you may stumble. You might stumble sometimes. It says you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For if you do these things, you will never, ever stumble. We're talking about this subject, Ticket to Life. And in these verses, the Apostle Peter has given us several tickets that we can have entrance not only into life. Remember that we're not talking about existing. When you were born, you came out of the womb and you took your first breath, you began to exist. But the life that Peter is talking about here is the same life that Jesus was talking about in John chapter 10, verse 10, when he said that your enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I come that you might have, and that more abundantly. He's talking about the God kind of life. 
And so Peter has given us several tickets to enter into this type of life. First, we talked about the exchange ticket. That's where I give up something in exchange for something that God gives to me. Now, remember what we talked about with God, and that God is not 50%. God is not 87.5%. God is not 99%. I like an old gospel song that said, Lord, I'm running, trying to make 100. Why? 99.5 just won't do. I need it all. And God, your God, your Father, the one whose DNA you possess is all about a hundred. And so when we exchange everything that we have or when we exchange what we have for what God has, he's already exchanged a hundred to give to us. He died on the cross and he gave all of his blood. He gave all of his life. He didn't partially die on the cross for you and I. He gave it all. And so now the least that we could do is turn around and give it all. So that's the song, I surrender what? When we exchange, we exchange everything. Our whole being, our thought process, our job, our marriage, our education. Come on, all of our possessions. We exchange everything for what God would give us. And I guarantee you, when he takes what you have and blesses it, come on. Oh, it'll be so much better than what you could have done on your own. It'd be so much better. And so we exchange. But now that exchange ticket, when you give your life, when you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that he died on the cross and rose again on the third day for the remission of your sin and all power was given to him in heaven and in earth. Come on. And then he commanded us through Peter to be baptized water baptized through immersion, come on, and then he would give us the Holy Spirit. When that happens, a new creature is born. All things are made new. All things have passed away. And a new creature was created, and now you have what we call salvation or entrance into heaven. But here's the thing about that. It sounds glorious. All of that that we just talked about that I just explained sounds so glorious and it's like God couldn't do anything else for me. And I've heard a lot of people say that if God didn't do anything else for me the rest of my life, I owe him everything and I would still be thankful. Oh, but what God did there was such a minute part of what he wants to do for you. Hard to believe when he gave all of his blood and all of his life on the cross that it would be such a small part of what he wants to do. That just gets you into heaven. And if that's all we wanted to do, then you just do that, confess the Lord, get saved, get baptized, whatever it may be, and then go on and die and go to heaven. But there's so much more. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life here on this earth, living the kingdom life. And so the exchange ticket is just part of it. He told us to go on from there, and he used that word add, add to your faith, that God kind of faith, that faith that God gave us. Come on, add to your faith virtue or excellence. Everything you do, do in excellence. Why? Because God is excellent. Have you ever read about the temple 
what he told Solomon and the materials that he told him to use. And, and, and when David and Solomon then built the temple, all of the stuff he told him to use, notice something. He didn't say, just go get some guys uh, and then uh, have them come and work on this thing. He said, go get some skilled laborers. Read it now. Go get some with skill, who have skill, because I want this thing to be excellent. Everything God does for you is excellent. Come on, he does things in excellence. And that's where he wants us. He wants us to live our life in excellence. That doesn't mean you're, gonna, you're not going to make any mistakes. That doesn't mean you won't mess up sometimes. Come on. And then he told us about the endeavor ticket or the endurance ticket. Because there's times when it's not going to work the first time you try it. Come on, you might try something and you get set back or somebody tells you no and then all of a sudden you want to say, well, I'm giving up. That's it. I tried it once and maybe that's just not for me. You know, if God wanted me to do that, then the door would have just been open. I wouldn't have had to try. Nothing would have been hard. Right? I would have just got the A on the test. I would have walked through the door. Everything would have been given to me and it would have been easy. But how many know that life is not like that? Sometimes there's some things that we need to go through. There's some things that you can't go around. There's some things that you can't put off. There's some things that you can't get over. There's some things that you can't dig under. But you need to go through. And God says sometimes the best way out is just to go through. Sometimes you just have to endeavor. Sometimes you just have to endure and make it through. You see, when Peter stepped down off the boat to come to Jesus, Jesus didn't say, tell you what, you step down off the boat and I'll make all the wind and the waves cease and it'll just be pleasant walking out here to meet me on the water. Didn't say that. Step down off the boat, you're in the same circumstances I'm in now. You're going through the same wind, sea, waves, everything. But you had the faith to step off the boat and endure. And if you're able to do that, you can make it to Jesus. And if you can make it to him, you can walk on water. You can walk on your circumstances. Come on. If you can get into his presence. We try so many things, saints, in life. We try getting loans. We try getting more education over here. We try going to that person. And God is saying, if you would just come to my presence, if you would just come to me first as a first resource, not a last resort, I would tell you the way to go. My word would be a lamp unto your feet. Doors would be open for you then. And even the things that you go through, you'll have a grace to go through it. Because I am with you. And so he said, endeavor, endeavor, make it through. And he's telling us this week to have the energized ticket. Now you might say, what does the energized ticket mean? Well, first let me tell you what I'm talking about when I'm talking about your ticket to life. My definition is this. A ticket, as it relates to what we're talking about, is a special pass offered to you by Jesus to enter into specified places. Come on, this is a backstage pass that we're talking about this morning. It requires someone to pay the cost of the ticket. And the holder has faith, that God kind of faith, to not only receive the tickets, but then to enter. 
The holder has that faith. But God keeps telling us something here through Peter that you must add. What does that mean? You need to supply it all, supply anything that's needed to get through it. And God has it all. You're filled with his spirit. The energized ticket. What am I talking about when I say energized ticket? Well, it's this Greek word, egratia, and all that means is this. It means it's the ticket that prepares us to enter doors of opportunity. But here's the key. Here's what I want you to get this morning. By yielding ourself to the Holy Spirit and learning the disciplines of this big word, self-control. This word is, all, this word is also found in Galatians 5.22. It's the very last component the ninth component of the fruit of the Spirit. And self-control. Oh, it's an important one. Because if you try to go on your own power, come on, if you just try to go on your own will and say, I can make it through this thing by myself, you'll peter out. <laughs> come on. It's not going to work. Can't do it. You only make it so far. You can't endure with that. But to be energized, you have to have this small, big word here, self-control. It's so important for us, self-control. Listen to verse 5 in a different version of the Bible. Verse 5 says, so don't lose a minute. Somebody say, don't lose a minute. Don't lose a minute in building what you've been given complimenting, in other words, adding to your faith. It says complimenting your basic faith with good character, that's that virtue, and with spiritual understanding, that's that knowledge and self-control. In other words, add the knowledge, self-control. Here's some other words I have for it. What about temperance? You've, heard, you've read that in the Bible. Temperance, well, yeah, I think I kind of know what that means. Here's one, alert discipline. That means discipline on purpose. I am purposefully disciplining myself. Sometimes you have to purposefully discipline yourself. And you might say, well, what does that mean? What does that mean? I can just, I can just say I'm going to discipline myself. Do you know how many times I have said I'm going to get up, go to the gym today? I'm going to eat just salad for lunch today. And that's the day, of course, we have the pitch-in at work. Come on. Or the day that I'm going to go to the gym, you know, something else comes up, and that seems like that's more important to me than doing that. If we just try to do it by ourselves, with no help from the Word, no help from the Lord, it'll never happen. Or it may happen once. It may happen twice. But we won't be able to go through. And so sometimes you have to do things on purpose. You got to say no matter what, I'm drawing a line in the sand. And no matter what, I'm going to do it. You ever tried to fast? Come on. Some of y'all tried to fast before. Come on. I, I remember one time early on in our marriage. You know, I was a lot younger then and I could, you know, I was a little more disciplined with some things. And, uh, I, you know, I said, I'm going to fast. I'm going to fast for seven days. I'm going to do a seven-day fast. And uh, nothing, just water. And uh, I tell you what, that, so the first few hours were all right. 
yeah, you know, first few hours, that was all right. And then I started in the evening, so then I went to sleep. So that, Jared, that worked out pretty good. You know, it was like, okay. And then in the morning, I hadn't usually, I don't usually eat breakfast, or at that time I didn't. And so it was like, okay, well, you know, I don't usually eat breakfast, so, uh, you know, great. I'm doing great. I mean, it's been about 18 hours. And, uh, shoot, I'm on my way. I mean, things are going well. You know, went to work that morning, and that was the day. Yeah, Monday morning, we had a pitch in. And uh, I said, man, this is just going to be tough because you smell all that food. But then they had a lot of things I don't like. You know, they had some casseroles and different things. And for me, I just, you know, I didn't like that kind of stuff. And I said, all right, well, cool. This, this is going to work. You know, I smelled all this stuff, but, you know, half that stuff I, I don't like anyway. Until it got to the dessert. Then they had apple pie, and then they had French silk pie. Some of you don't know what that is. I know exactly what French silk pie is. You know, the only thing that saved me was they didn't have my mother-in-law's sweet potato pie because that would have put me over the edge. You know, but I, but I made it through that, and I, I made it that evening, and uh, we, weren't even, we weren't married yet. You know, we were going out dating, you know, so I could have even lied, you know, to her because we wasn't home every day. But I didn't do that, you know, I didn't do that. And I made it all the way to that evening and went to sleep that night. Had one day down on my way to seven. Boy, it was going good. Next morning, woke up, went to work. Don't you know it was somebody's 15-year anniversary? And so they ordered pizza from everywhere. And they had... 25 large pizzas from about four different pizza places. I said, man, come on. Sausage, pepperoni, meat lovers. You know, what kind of pizza do you want? The dessert pizza from Pizza Hut. They had all that stuff. And uh, somehow, somehow, by the grace of God, I made it through that day. Then by day three, it started to get a little bit easier. By day three, because I was able to make it through, it started to get a little bit easier. So I made it through day three, made it through day four, made it all the way to day six, and I must confess, I just couldn't take it anymore. Six days. Six days. So then I went back and said, well, Lord, I made it six days. What happened here? And uh, so I began to pray, you know, because I felt like, you know, I was, uh, you know, I was uh, in, in church, you know, and I was doing my thing, and I heard from the Lord, and I was, you know, in the Holy of Holies and all these type of things, and I said, Lord, you know, what happened? I done made it. I done made it this far. What, what, what's the deal? I thought you were going to give me some strength. And he said, well, I mean, you know, uh, I never told you to fast in the first place, so all that stuff you were doing was on your own. <laughs> I said, well, you could have told me that on day one. <laughs> He said, well, you never asked me on day one. You just started fasting. <laughs> so that's all right. If you choose to fast, that's all right. But just know that if you do it in your own power, you're only going to get so far. You're only going to get so far. And that's why God tells us, have a self-control, an alert discipline, on-purpose discipline. What about this one? A passionate patience. Sounds like an oxymoron, doesn't it? Passionate patience passionate. That means I'm struggling, but I'm going to be patient. Have you ever driven on 37 when they 
have the construction on there. There's no accident, just cars driving slow. You got to have a passionate patience. Come on, and you can do it. No road rage, passionate patience. Come on, road rage is for the world. We don't need that anyway. We joke about it. That's for the world. That's something for the world. But passionate patience. He wants us to have all these things. He wants us to have a mastery, a mastery of our own feelings. Do you know that Paul in Philippians chapter 4 said these words, be anxious for nothing. You know that? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, Come on. Be anxious for nothing. You know, I studied that out, and I found out that Paul had an energy behind that statement. You know, sometimes words that we use don't really explain the attitude behind it. But after studying this out, I came to the conclusion that Paul had an energy behind that when he said, be anxious for nothing. He wasn't just being nice, saying, well, you know, just don't be anxious. You can make it. He was saying, Stop being anxious. Look in the mirror and tell yourself, stop it. I will stop being emotional and I will stop being anxious. No more. I'm drawing the line. Get a hold of your flesh. Stop it. That's the energy he had behind be anxious for nothing. How many know that sometimes you need to look in the mirror and say, stop it. Stop being anxious. I will master my flesh. How many want to walk in the kingdom of God? God's kingdom ways, right? All of us raise our hand. We want to walk in the kingdom of God. Well, do you know that as Peter talked, as, as Paul actually were talking to the Pharisees, they were asking him, Paul, you know, well, then, uh, where is the kingdom of God? Is it going to come this way? Is it going to come that way? Um, and, you know, he just had to remember what Jesus had talked about with the kingdom of God. See, Jesus has said, no, the king, people will say, low is it over here, low is it over there. But he said, really, the kingdom of God is in you. Remember that? He said, the kingdom of God is in you. Now I couple that with another scripture that says the kingdom of God suffers violence. You know that scripture? The kingdom of God suffers violence and the violent take it by force well you're thinking okay we got to go get the kingdom of god back kingdom of god is over there let's get our weapons and go get it but remember what jesus said wait a minute where are you looking for the kingdom of god the kingdom of god is where the kingdom of god suffers violence and the violent take it by force Look at yourself in the mirror and say, I'm taking this flesh by force. No more. I'm taking it by force. I will have a mastery over my flesh. There is nothing that will have me, Paul said. Nothing. And I'm not just talking about cigarettes and alcohol and sex and all those other things. I'm talking about Pepsi is not going to have me or Coke. Right? Come on. Even sweet potato pie, mama. I love it, though. I got to tell you, you know, if you want to make one, it's all right. Thanksgiving coming up. But anyway, nothing. Paul said nothing will have me. Attitude? Come on. My attitude won't have me. Right? If it's time to say I need to ask for forgiveness, I need to do it. Come on. Some of us, like me, need to look in the mirror. <laughs> Come on. It will not have me. That's what he's saying. Have a firm hold on your desires. Have a firm hold on them. 
That's self-control. That's what he's talking about. Self-control is being energized with the Holy Spirit's power to rule one's attitudes, your passions, your habits, so that you are neither driven or dominated by the desires of the flesh. I will not be driven or dominated by the desires of my flesh. And I want to tell you something. I don't know about your flesh, but my desires are many. Things that come on me, there are many. I don't know about you. Maybe I'm just the only one that can confess that. But the enemy puts a lot of things in my mind. I mean, I see situations. I see things going on, and a lot of stuff comes in my mind. Come on, yeah, the pastor, that's right. A lot of stuff comes in here. But I just read Corinthians. And Paul said, listen, grab a hold of those thoughts and bring them under the obedience of Christ. Every thought, that if you had only good thoughts, you would need to bring them under the obedience of Christ. But he said, grab a hold of those thoughts, bring them under the obedience of Christ. Why? Because you have self-control, and you will master even those things that the enemy throws at you. All those passions, all those desires of the flesh. Self-control is in the Bible, not only as man's willpower, but also the product of your relationship with God. You see, self-control is not just our willpower, but it's a marriage between God's power and ours. Because he works in us both to will and to do. Come on. God works that out in us. Self-control is the power to regulate one's personal life so that it's neither driven nor dominated by the desires of the flesh. And self-control simply means to have rule of your attitudes, your driving passions. Listen, your habits. Come on. We all have some habits so that they do not dictate your behavior. Don't let your habits dictate your behavior. You see, if we follow the flesh... We don't know where we might end up. Think about how your flesh works. Think about how it works. When you're, if your flesh tells you, hmm, I'm hungry, what do you do? You eat. Find something to eat. If your flesh tells you you're sleepy, you go sleep. If your flesh tells you you're angry, you might give somebody a piece of your mind, the one that you needed, and you gave it away. Come on. We are so reactionary to our flesh. That's the way the flesh man works. It looks at its environment, sees how it feels, and it reacts to that. How many know that Jesus was never reactionary? He came into situations, and he dictated the thing. Never, not even to Lazarus' death. He already knew when Lazarus died that it was for the glory of God. This was going to turn around for the glory of God. Your flesh is reactionary, and we don't want to be that way. Come on. Self-control is like the conductor of a symphony orchestra. When you can have self-control, you really have control. Come on. You really have control. Now, here's the thing. Self-control implies a battle. That's the thing that we don't want to hear. There's a battle with self-control. Paul talked about it. You don't believe me? I don't have time to go to it this morning, but read Romans chapter 7. Just read through that sometime, and you'll see what I'm talking about, what what Paul was saying. Self-control is a battle. Paul stood up and said, who will deliver me from this body of death? There's somebody else in here. I I wasn't created this way. 
I, I'm, I think I'm going crazy. Am I schizophrenic? I mean, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do all the time. What's going on? Who's going to deliver me from this thing? Is Paul the only one that ever went through something like that? I know I've gone through it. Seems like the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I do do. Things I don't want to say, I say. Times I should say something, I don't. It's a backwards thing going on here. And he says, so in my mind, Romans 7, 25, I am a slave to God's law in here. But in my sinful self, I am a slave to the law of sin. And so there's a battle going on. And I want to tell you, that battle, listen, Romans 8, 1 says, that There is therefore now no condemnation to those who in Christ Jesus walk after the spirit and not after the flesh. And I want to tell you a little something this morning about that. I know in your King James Bible that spirit is a capital S. But I want to tell you something this morning. That battle is really between you, your spirit, and your flesh. Think about it. There would be no battle between the Holy Spirit and anything. If the Holy Spirit was battling your flesh, there would be no battle. I was flipping through channels the other day on TV, and I saw something on one of the channels that had the title of the show was God versus Satan. And I thought, what the, that's the most ridiculous title for a TV show I've ever had, heard of or seen in my life. First of all, God created Satan. There is no God versus Satan. God is everything. Satan is like this. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning, come on, out of heaven, right? When he thought, I'm going to rebel and take them with me. Boom, it's over. Let's keep on going with our day. Come on, there's no God versus Satan. So there's no Holy Spirit versus the flesh. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who walk after the renewed spirit. Come on, if anyone is in Christ, he is a... New creation, new creature, old things have passed away, all things have become new. If you walk after that spirit that is connected with the spirit of God, I know that's a little controversial for some of y'all, but that's all right. If you walk after that spirit, then you won't be condemned. Because that spirit will then, if you walk after that, it will have mastery over this flesh. And see, you're living with two realities. We're living with the Adam reality because God has not yet saved us from Adam. He saved us unto salvation, but when he did that, he didn't renew this flesh. That's why when you got saved, you looked in the mirror and you looked the same. You didn't say, oh, wow, I, look, I have a glow now. Oh, my goodness, I can't believe it. Wow, it's beautiful. When you got saved, your flesh didn't say, uncle, I give up. No, your flesh is still fighting. Your flesh is not going down without a fight. And so you have that Adam reality, and you have the Christ reality that's in you. It's called the battle of two natures. Now, I used to hear one pastor say, "What? there's two dogs in you. Which one are you going to feed? Come on. You're going to watch, you know, Halloween part three and, uh, you know, whatever else and get in conversations that are just negative. I know some people, but I got to tell you something. Just everything they say is negative. And, I mean, I get so tired of hearing it. And that's when I really got to bring my flesh under captivity. I mean, it's like, really, come on. If the world was that negative, everything they say is negative. You're going to stay in that conversation and listen to them and go, yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, if Donald Trump is president or if Hillary Clinton is president, you know, we're going down in this country. And da, 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 da. I mean, how long are we going to talk about that? Last I checked, God was still in control. That's who we need to be voting in. 
God is in control. And so you're going to feed that dog with all that negativity or you're going to feed the dog of the spirit. Come on with this word. Feed this word into you every day. Pray. Get some of this word into you. Feed that. And then that nature will rise up. And here's what happens when you lack self-control. Finishing up here. But when you lack self-control, you begin to bring walls down. Here's the important thing of what I wanted to tell you the whole time. When you lack self-control, walls begin to come down. Now, here's the thing. We, we have, sometimes we put up walls and they're negative because really we need to have relationships with people, whether they're in church, whether it's a spouse, uh, whether it's friends, parents, sister, whatever it may be, we need relationships to survive. And so when we put up walls and we don't allow people to, to get into where our transparency is, that can have a negative effect on us because no one can live on an island. So those walls we don't want to bring down. But how many know that there are certain other walls that God has put up? He's put up hedges. I mean, when, when, the, when the enemy, when Satan went after Job, he said, look, you have a hedge about him. How many know that God has a hedge about you? There are some walls that were constructed to protect you. And when you lack self-control, you begin to destroy those walls, those needed walls. Proverbs 25, 28 says this in the God's Word translation. It says like a, I like this translation. It says like a broken city, Proverbs 25, 28, if you want to jot it down. Like a broken city, that like a city that got broken into and left without a wall, so is a person who lacks self-control. You're like a city that got broken into and it's left without no walls, without any walls. It's left now. Just bare. Anybody can attack me. Another version says a person without self-control is like a house with its doors and windows knocked out. That's how you are when you don't have self-control. You're vulnerable. You are vulnerable to anything. You can allow it to come in and it will rule you. The walls of self-control protect us. They bring security to us. And the thing is, they can be rebuilt. I'm so happy about that. Here's some things that some of us fight. What about uncontrolled lust? And when I say that, I don't just mean lust in terms of sex. I mean, we lust for a lot of things. How many know some of us lust for food? Come on. And when it gets uncontrolled, it's very unhealthy. I know. <laughs> uncontrolled lust is very unhealthy for you. Proverbs 6.26 says, For by means of a harlot, a man is reduced to a crust of bread. And an adulteress will prey on his precious life. When you have an uncontrolled lust, you are reduced to a crust of bread. What about uncontrolled spending? Oh, come on now. Well, some of us may say, well, I don't have much to spend. But that could be a result of uncontrolled spending. Come on. Proverbs 21.20 says, there is a desirable treasure. And oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man squanders it. Boy, I could look in the mirror and say that. If I look back over my life and see some of the bonehead decisions I've made. Come on. Foolish man squanders it. What about uncontrolled ambition? That's a big one. Because you think ambition is such a good thing. But here's the thing about it. Proverbs 23, 4. Do not overwork to be rich. 
because of your own understanding. He said, cease doing that. You overwork, you won't enjoy it. Uncontrolled drink, drinking is a big one in this company. I mean, in this, in this country. In this company as well. No. Yeah, it happens in the church too. Listen to this from Proverbs. I thought this was very interesting. 23, 29. Proverbs 23, 29, if you wanted to jot it down. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaints? Who has wounds without a cause? And who has redness of eyes? Those who linger long at the wine and those who go in search of mixed wine. What is that scripture telling us? Uh, you know, I'm not going to get into this this morning. I haven't found scriptures that tell you if you drink, you're going to hell. I haven't found that, so I won't preach that. But I have found a bunch of scriptures that say when you do things in excess, and not just drinking, uh, it's very unhealthy for you. Come on. When it says, who has redness of eyes, it's not just talking about bloodshot eyes. I believe what he's talking about here is you don't have the presence of mind to think clearly, Right? You could lose your fortune, you could you lose your life, you could lose your marriage when you're not thinking clearly, when you have those red eyes. Come on. Uncontrolled drinking. What about uncontrolled anger? Some of us have experienced that. Some of us have caused others to experience that. <laughs> uncontrolled anger. Proverbs 29, 11 says, A fool vents all his feelings, but a wise man holds them back. A fool vents all of his feelings. That's a fool. Just anything that comes to mind, I'm going to say it. Come on. That's, I, I didn't, that's the Bible. Proverbs said a fool vents all of his feelings. Don't vent everything. What about, this is big, what about uncontrolled friendships? Hmm. Some of us need to listen to that. Do not be deceived, 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Evil company corrupts good habits. It is the truth. It is the absolute truth. And some of us think that, you know, well, I'm a good person. That person will never influence me. But a University of Georgia study, wasn't IU, but it was Georgia, second best. It would been better if it was IU. But the study of Georgia said researchers found that watching or even thinking about someone with good self-control makes others more likely to exert self-control. They also found that people with bad self-control influence others negatively. Did you know that? The effect is so powerful that seeing the name of someone with good or bad self-control flashing on the screen for just 10 milliseconds changes that person's behavior. The lead author of the study wrote, the take-home message of this study is that picking social influences that are positive can improve your self-control, and by exhibiting self-control, you are helping others do the same. How many know that your actions not only have consequences, but we are connected, and you influence others, and you think, well, it's just me. You know, hey, look, I made the bad decision. I flew off the handle that time, but that was just me. You affected so many other people. You affected others. What about uncontrolled overindulgence? Here's a scripture that I need to probably tack up somewhere in the kitchen 
over my wife's birthday cake because nobody, no one else is eating it. Seems like only me. Proverbs 23, 2 says this. It's strong, too. This is a strong scripture. It says, and put a knife to your throat if you are a man given to appetite. You know what he's saying? Go ahead and put a knife to your throat. You want to keep on eating all that fried chicken and gallon of Coke? I didn't say not eat any fried chicken now. Come on, let's, you know. Are we having fried chicken today? No. <laughs> but if you just want to keep on going and overindulging, you know, doctor had already told you, you know, your, your, your sugar's a little high, but you just want to keep on going. You want to eat a loaf of bread. Come on. Just put a knife to your throat. That's what the Bible says. I'm not saying it. That's what the Bible says. Just put a knife to your throat. Proverbs 25, 16 says, have you found honey? Eat only as much as you need, lest you be filled and vomit. This is stuff from the Bible, folks. I'm not making it up. Come on. Obesity in America is out of control, by the way. I mean, I, I looked this up. Nine million teens are overweight. Nine million. Fifty-eight million people are overweight. Forty million are what doctors would uh, classify as obese. Now, I know you've got to kind of take that with a grain of salt, Jody, because, you know, if, they, if you're 10 pounds overweight, they call you obese sometimes. I mean, the doctor told me I need to weigh 125 pounds. And I said, the only way I could do that is, you know, get on drugs or crack or something. And I'm not going to do that, so... Otherwise, it's not going to happen. I'm just, it's not going to happen. <laughs> but I need to get down to a good weight. Come on, as do many of us. Let's make sure that Jesus loves the body that he's living in. Come on, make sure that he loves it. Now, we can rebuild our self-control walls. If you are a person who's been through that and uh, you've lost some self-control in some areas, know that Galatians 5.24 says, and those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. In other words, I want to go back to something that I've, I've said earlier, is that when you find yourself uh, out of self-control or in a place where you, you don't know how I got to this place. I'm supposed to be a Christian. You know, I'm supposed to be following the Lord, and I don't even know how I got here and, you know, whatever it is that I'm going through. Just understand this, that that doesn't mean you're not a Christian. God still loves you. God is not mad at you. He's madly in love with you, okay? It's, it's, it's not that you're not a Christian. You're just not acting like it. All you need to do now is turn that thing around, make a decision, and start acting like who and what you really are. That's what God is calling to us today. He's saying, I know who you are. The problem is you don't know who you are. You have my spirit, and therefore, you have the power of self-control over your flesh and over your mind. Once you realize who you are, now you can make a decision. Now you can follow the spirit and not after the flesh. Now you can understand that you are not condemned because Jesus didn't come in the world to condemn it, but to save it. So here's what we got to do. Decide by faith to rebuild the walls. You must, decide, you must make a decision today by faith that I'm going to rebuild these self-control walls. Listen, this has gone on long enough. Here we are today. This is your time. This is your moment. This is it. Draw a line in the sand. 
today and say, no more, I will have self-control because I will walk after the spirit, not after my flesh. There's no self-control in the flesh. Begin the day to renew your mind with God thoughts. In every situation, have a God thought. No matter how negative it is, turn it around. There are scriptures that you can memorize and have down in your spirit to respond to every situation. And then you've got to believe somewhere deep down in you that God is working in you. Believe that. Don't just say, well, you know, Brother Carter over there, you know, he's a man of God. Sister Jody, she's a man of God. I mean, she's a woman of God. Uh, you know, Eldon, he's a man of God. And uh, God is really, you know, working in them. But that's just not me. You know, I, he would never do that. You must believe that God is working in you. And a beautiful woman you are, Jody. You've got to surrender all of your frustrations to the Lord. That could be the most difficult one. Surrender all your frustrations to him. And then declare a rebuilding starts today. In other words, break into a new awareness of who you are in Christ. Here's the thing that God is calling us, he, calling us to this morning. He's saying, you make a choice because I've already made my choice. I've chosen you. Because of grace, you are marked with an incredible future. You are predestined to live free and rise above your own limitations, but it has to come with your choice to live free. How many want to live free this morning?